Good morning, grace and peace to you. Uh, I'm Ben LaGrange, and we're here for the Way Podcast. Uh, we're just getting a good chance at reading Scripture here with you. We hope that you're in your Bible, too. But we're also going to be reading this out loud uh, for your benefit. We want to make sure that you can actually hear this along with us. Today, I'm joined by George White, a friend, a longtime pastor. Uh, he's been involved in my life in many different ways, but how should people know you? Well, I'm... Uh... I guess, guess first of all, a Christian, Christian and, and I happen to also be a retired pastor. pastor. So, so I've had, had lots of opportunity through the years to be exposed to scripture. scripture. Hearing it out loud is a good thing. It, it absolutely is. Now, George, you said you're a retired pastor. You've been doing this a long time. So my first question is, did you know Jesus personally? Uh, not in all the years, but in the years that I've been a pastor. Yes, yes. <laughs> So what, what, well, you weren't one of the original disciples then. Not, I was getting close, but not, my, my gray hair says, oh, maybe. Maybe. No, no, no that's all right. No, I like to tease you. We're, we're good friends. So uh, we wanted to, uh, you know, take a quick look at this. Now, you're from the United Methodist Church, and you've been with the United Methodist Church before it was united, right? That's correct. When it was just plain the Methodist Church. And, and uh, uh, where, what, what section of that, that were you before it? Uh, were you part of the EUB? Were you part uh, of the, the Methodist just, side of it? Okay, just the Methodist side. All right. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of divisions that happened, and then we all came back together. We use the word United now, and we like it that way. So that's good. So you've been throughout Iowa almost all your life. Yes, uh, we moved to Iowa to the farm when I was 11, and... Uh, Except, Except for four years of school, school in Illinois, yeah, I've yeah. been in Iowa ever since. Hometown guy. Yeah. That's all right. That's good. <laughs> That's good. So you've so been pastor throughout the, the state in multiple locations. You were even a district superintendent. Yes. Mostly, I, I just happened to be that I mostly served in eastern Iowa. Okay. Well, that's a good place to be. It is. That's it where is all the action, action is. <laughs> Sorry, Western guys. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> I know, I know. I went to Schleswig uh, late last year, and I swear I fell asleep driving on the way home. I wasn't sure if it was Nebraska or not. <laughs> well, today, everybody, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to take out the first section here, and then we're just going to have a few moments to discuss and just see what it means, what God speaks to us through on this. Uh, you know, George has had many years of going through this, and uh, and I've had a couple of years myself, but uh, we want to make sure to share any wisdom we can. Now, Jesus, uh, this section is about Jesus sending demons into a herd of pigs. This is actually what the section of the Bible comes into if you're looking at the NIV. It says, they went across the lake to the region of Garanzis. I'm just going to say that with confidence because I said that wrong. With Garanzis, I like that. When Sounds like a kind of uh, overalls, right? Uh, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And the man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one, no one was strong, strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs, and the hills, and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell onto his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, the Son of God most high? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged that Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. And a large herd of pigs uh, was feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of him and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake where they were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and hoarded this to town and into the countryside. And people went out to see what had happened. When they, when they came, came to Jesus, Jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, demons sitting in there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it were told that, about what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to, began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. 
And as Jesus was getting out or into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. He said, Go home and tell your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he, he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell people in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, you've preached on this at least once, right? Probably so. <laughs> so what's kind of the, the big thing that kind of hits you personally with this? I, I, one of the things I was noticing as you were reading was that, that the first response of the people to the man's healing was they were afraid. They were shaken up by it. But as the man goes back and tells the people, interprets what happens, has happened to him, it says, and all the people were amazed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of moving from fear to amazement. There are a lot of emotions that stir around here in a very short period of time. Oh, yeah. This whole thing is kind of crazy. You know, it's it, a, it's great, a great, it would be a great segment for a Hollywood movie. I mean, it's got all the drama and visuals. And, right. And you think of, you know, when I was a kid, I used to, I, I heard this story, I think the first time when I was maybe eight years old. And they did it on the old flannel graph. You remember that thing? No, I didn't grow up on flannel graph. <laughs> they used to put up a piece of flannel and they'd have like a flannel Jesus and then a flannel herd of pigs and a flannel crazy guy. But you know what? You know, it was always this section of things and they would move the guys around the board as they were telling the stories to make it visual for us. And I loved that. But to be honest, I always imagined the, the Incredible Hulk. Because <laughs> as soon as he broke the chains, they were like... It is that kind of... Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in that 70s Lou Ferrigno, Big Green Hulk, and it's like snapping the chains. Ah, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> but see, that's, that's the thing that was always going on in my mind when I saw this. I'm like... But see, there's something with that, the Incredible Hulk. And then, oh, when it's all over with, he goes back to his normal self. He's back, back in his, in his right, right mind, mind again. In his right, right mind. mind. Yeah, and, and I, always I always thought of that. But see, we, we, we actually, I think, glaze over some serious pieces in this often. Uh, not just during preaching, but just reading through it. It's like, oh, yeah, well, the guy was crazy, and now he's not. He was possessed, and now he's not. But I think the recent Marvel movies, I don't know if you've seen any of those. No, no. just a few of them, maybe. Yeah, they have one with the Avengers, and then they kind of... Bring the real side of it to it. It's not just a bunch of guys beating each other up, but they actually look at New York City got smashed in this whole thing. And when someone's when the Hulk jumps over someone's car and smashes it, even if he's going to beat up the aliens and trying to take over the city, they're they're like, dude, that's my car. What just happened? And I think there's that kind of moment in here too, because the men who were hurting the pigs lost everything. They did. They did. That's, 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 that's a part, a part of, of the drama, drama of this, this uh, story. It also is what aden identifies it as a uh, Greek community and not a Jewish community. Oh, yeah. For, for one thing, it tells us here's Jesus crossing over the Sea of Galilee into Greek territory. And it kind of gives us a foreshadowing of the gospel, gospel touching the lives of all peoples. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of an early... Yeah, it's one of those few times that uh, that we see Jesus outside of his, his area. Yeah. You know, we've got here when he's in the Decapolis in that area, um, or right near that area. We also see where he goes to um, uh, Tyre and Sidon, uh, in the upper Phoenician area, right? I'm trying to remember my maps. I'm not looking at them. I'm sorry. But he's just like outside of his normal territory. And yeah, they're, they're dealing with pigs, which is a very non-Jewish thing to have, right? What else would you have them for other than to eat? Because I don't know what else pigs Or you could say it's a good Jewish story because the pigs got dumped in the... They were like, finally, I don't have to take care of these things anymore. You know, pigs are magic. And, you know, they, uh, they turn apples into bacon. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we're looking at this, this thing, and I was, when I was younger, and, and I ran through this, one of the things that got me is like, well, 
Jesus just heals this guy, and you know he's got to be a problem for everybody, right? Like, how bad do you... I mean, I've been badly behaved in the past, George, you know me. But nobody has ever tried to chain me up to anything. So how bad, how bad did this guy have to be uh, to make them try to do this thing? He, he must have inspired a lot of fear in them, and they were... I guess you'd say trying to control him or protect themselves. Yeah. Uh, and what his backstory is is not revealed to us. Yeah. You just know that it was huge because when uh, Jesus questioned the demons about the name, uh, they said the name is Legion. Oh, yeah. Which is many, many... And to be feared. Oh, yeah. And, and I think of this, like, okay, so Jesus solved this big problem, right? They, they say they solved this, uh, this absolutely feared man down the block who can't be contained. Um, he solves this issue, and the first thing they do is boot him. Be because the only thing scarier than something you can't control is something that can control the thing you can't control, right? It's <laughs> true. Yeah, it, it was very much that, you know, we get comfortable with things even when they're not what they ought to be, but we know what they are, yeah. so we can live with it. But when someone comes in and and changes that, upsets our apple cart, so to speak, then it's, uh, uh, yeah, why don't you just go out of town, Jesus? Go back. Go back. Maybe, Maybe they, they said, said go, go, Jesus, why don't you go home? Yeah, there was, a, there was a movie in the 90s called Babe the Pig. I don't know if you saw that one either. But. I, I saw previews of it. There was a, it's basically a little pig that works as a sheep or a shepherd, a shepherd dog. And at the end of the movie comes the punchline. And the, the shepherd, the actual guy, he's uh, looking at the pig who wins this uh, herding contest. And just, just looks down, down and says, that'll do, pig. That'll do. <laughs> that'll do, pig. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's kind of the same thing that they do with Jesus. They're like, okay, well, that was nice and all. You cost us a herd of pigs, now get out. And, and I always saw that as kind of a, a, a rough arrival there. You're like, well, someone does something that amazing. Okay, you're thinking, okay, I would want to know that guy. I would want to know what's going on there. And that's, that's the kind of thing you want to be able to, to, to be around and say, okay, how can I be part of this? And I thought that was amazing when I started looking at it. But when I see the, the reception there, I think there's something about that that happens in our lives too on a regular basis. Um, I think salvation is easy, that just whoever believes in me will have eternal life. But discipleship is a hard part. When it starts affecting your life, your income, the other issues, that's when people say, okay, Jesus. That'll do. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. And I, I, do you see that in here as well, where you see where there's a cost for removing some of those things? The, I, yeah, I see that. There's um, certainly their initial response was to be troubled, but as the story unfolds and the guy they begin to see the guy's life that's changed and he talks to them about what jesus did then they begin to get it and not resist it yeah it's interesting in fact it turns out here that the the healed guy could bear witness that jesus couldn't yeah isn't that amazing? It is. It's, uh, yeah. See, I, I've, uh, I used to tell the joke because I was not the smartest in my class in school. <laughs> I was not the smartest. You were good at Jokes I was good at. Disrupting class, picking on the teachers, sometimes cornering them with, with weird questions. That was fun. But uh, in seminary, I was a, I was a solid C plus B minus student. <laughs> there were other people getting better scholarships than I was, is what I'm saying. But I always made the joke. I said, my cup may be tiny, but it overflows faster. It overflows faster. And we're, we're kind of seeing that repetition throughout this chapter. Here's this guy who had, people would look at him and say, that guy has no potential. 
but God does one thing from them, and it overflows, and here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about the same thing. Isn't that just, I mean, I, I think I see that process in the gospel, where too often we look for, um, when we're looking for potential in people, we aren't just looking at potential, because everybody has some level, right? What we're looking for are particular patterns that lead to benefit, right? And when we see that, you don't look at a guy who's like, can't behave, so. Yeah, and this is the last guy you're going to look at. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want to have to deal with this guy. You've taken care of him. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And over the years, one of the things I've observed is that uh, sometimes in the church, we may have prayed for leaders or somebody to step up and do something. And then it's not the person I would have chosen who steps up, steps out. It, it's amazing how that happens. Yeah. It, uh, of course, somebody said that Well, I stepped in. You know, who knows? That? This is not confession time. There's nobody, there's nobody here in this room who remembers back that far. Oh, no, 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 no. And I, I uh, certainly did my fair amount of forgetting as far as what I've done. But the, uh, there is something to that. You know, the old bumper sticker, found people, find people, right? And, and I think... Uh, it, it, it's nice it's when you can wrap up theology, theology like that, but it doesn't always work that way, right? right. So, so when, when, you, when you start, start looking, looking at this section of Scripture, you're looking at not a matter of who has potential, but who God has affected is most likely the one to jump forward. That one to jump forward and go out into, I wouldn't even say so far as leadership. In, I've, I've kind of taken a different perspective of it, um, coming into ministry as a second career, I don't look for leaders. I look for servants. You know, who's going to will, who's willing to go out and serve somebody else? And what you would look for, you know, when I worked for AT&T and Hewlett Packard and um, other places along the way, we would look for those people that are going to be leaders in a, in a specific way. But we are actually looking for something altogether different in a Christian community. How are you going to serve somebody? is the, the model of leadership that Jesus shows. And here we're looking at, you can't give somebody something you haven't been received or that you haven't received from somebody else. If you gave me $5 right now, it's only because somebody gave you $5 at some point, right? I'm not asking for money, George. Not yet. The donations come at the end. The offering is at the end. The offering's at the end. No. Um, well, I think that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, and of course, Jesus is... In these stories, he is interacting with people that are on his path as he's moving along, and uh, they find their place in following him, and uh, each one of the persons, that takes a different shape. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, go ahead. Some of the stories, we don't know where it goes. Yeah, some of them we don't know. Is it incomplete? Use your imagination or step into the story yourself. And, and I think there's something to that. You know, sometimes uh, as, as a preacher, I worry, am I really spouting the same thing that many times? Did God just do one thing for me that set the whole thing off? <laughs> and, and I look and I think, what did this guy preach about? What did this guy share? He's like, you remember who I was? That's not me now. Look at that. You know why? Jesus. That's all the sermon he ever has to give. That's a great, great uh, synopsis of that story. I know, I know. And he never got to put it on a bumper sticker. <laughs> or a t-shirt. So when we look at it, we've, we've now got a second section uh, between verses 21 and 34. George, could you read that for me? Uh, this is really part of two stories weaving together. When Jesus was crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman, 
was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, you see people crowding around you and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Well, there's a whole lot there. We're looking at a lot different story than what we just saw in the first part of the chapter. The first part of the chapter, we see uh, Jesus saying, okay, here's this guy. I'm going to take care of this problem. It's Jesus' choice. Then we've got a request and a non-request. Just, a, I'm taking this. It's mine. Right. So we're looking at, at three different ways Jesus is, is dealing with healings already. And, and I like uh, the fact that in this we don't have a particular clue. I, I like that people are, are looking in prayer for recipes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The prayer recipe. If I do this in the right order, I do that in the right order, then, this, then God's going to show up and amazing things will happen. And, and there's the, uh, forgive me my Latin, but I think it's uh, ex opero operante. Do you remember that? I do not remember. Never had it. Never had Latin. Oh, okay. Well, it was high school for me. So that's probably the reason I don't remember it. There's two jokes there. One that I'm old and another one entirely different. But uh, it, it is that it is. Um, it just is. And that's, that's all we have to know about it is God will do as God pleases. He'll actually run with his, his process and his will. And so... Part of that tell, reminds me that uh, we need to be open whenever because it, it isn't going to follow some prescripted, prescribed, fixed kind of pattern. Exactly. Uh, so we don't want to rule out how God may work or how we may, I mean, in, in, of course, in both the case of the, uh, of the synagogue ruler's daughter is ill, and of the woman, they both did take an initiative. And, and one of them, in a conversational way, another just so timid, so shy, that she couldn't even, she could hardly bring herself to ask for the help she knew she needed. Right. It reminds me of a, I, back when I was in Coralville, uh, we had a lot of people came and visited a lot of people who are not necessarily comfortable with church. And I remember this one guy I got to know, very, very timid, uh, thinking about the woman. And uh, I asked him about his coming, and he said he had come four weeks in a row without being able to get out of his car and come in. Finally, the fourth week, he pulled into the parking lot, yeah. and then the fifth week he finally came in. It's kind of like her finally reaching out her hand, at least I can touch the garment. He just didn't feel worthy to be there. Yeah. And, uh, I think that goes on a lot. I think it goes on a lot more than we know. I, uh, I have the... Uh, I think sometimes people take church for a different thing than it should be. Uh, people are worried about, am I going to interrupt? Am I going to be part of it? Am I going to be worthy? Am I interrupting something by just being there? 
And being in a small town church right now in, in Comanche, I actually had the pleasure of being the first person to ever walk out on one of my sermons. <laughs> Somebody had to do it finally. Somebody had to do it. And I'm like, well, I'm not waiting around anymore. i got to get this done. If somebody else did it, I'd feel insulted, but I did it first, so I understand if anybody else does. Now, we actually had a, a guy who came in, walked in the back door uh, into the, uh, the narthex, opened up the second door to get into the sanctuary, and realized service was already going on. And I was, I was three or four minutes into my sermon. So he slowly peeked back, and he slowly, quietly closed the door. And I said, uh-oh. <laughs> I ran out the back and I chased that guy down. I'm like, brother, you need to be here. <laughs> That's something you can do in a church of three or 4,000, right? Well, I suppose it could be done. It could be done. It could be. You're just maybe not as apt to notice that one person. I would think. Yeah, I think that timidity is there. But we also look at, um, you know, they're starting to identify Jesus for who he is. And that this first section of Mark all the way up through the middle part of Mark 8, it's all about proving who he is. It's all evidences along the way. And it's strange to me that the people don't recognize him. The, the, the general crowd does not recognize him. Yet the demon is one of the first to recognize him. And then, you know, we also have Jairus here who's he's like, okay, I may not know who you are, but I, have, I know that when you come around, things happen. And... And the and lady who's suffering the bleeding does the same thing. She's like, I know. So, so we don't we don't have to have a complete understanding of Jesus to to be drawn toward him in our in our time of need. Right. The need will drive us in a direction maybe we don't totally get yet. Yeah. I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out. See, so I mean, it's not something. That's always immediate for us, right? And and it's it's uh, there's something to know that there's power. There's little bits that are understood by the power and the presence of God Himself. But throughout time, we, we always have little more little curtains that open up, little revelations that happen, so we get to know Him more and more. And it's not just simply enough to have that moment, that first moment. We have to continually stay in the process. We we got to go through the means of grace. We got to. Keep reading our Bibles and praying and spending time and trying to know and gathering with others and the, the, other, the other things we know God will show up during. And I think through those, we actually start to see more and more, not just of who he is, how God works, and what we're supposed to do in, in relation to that. And I think there's a lot to that. So we're seeing this. They're recognizing who God is. Um, obviously... Uh, his little, His little daughter, daughter is dying, dying and he and wants, wants, he's like, come put hands on her and pray. Yeah. And, and, and there's something, something to that. So, so this, this man, man uh, is a synagogue ruler. Now, now this, this is, this is, this is odd, odd uh, for some, some people, people, especially pastors, pastors to go out and think, think okay, okay, I'm going to go find some random guy. I'm the pastor here. I'm the pastor in town, but I'm going to run out and find some dude. Dude, didn't work when I did it. But could you come over to my house? Maybe Help me out here. That seems a, it seems an odd thing in some aspects to to maybe who would, someone who would look in on that piece. Why would uh, why would this holy man need another person to do this? And we have we have the the access to to call on Jesus at any time. But I think there's there's times when people actually have the same thing with me, where if we're just sitting around, they're like. Hey, Pastor, Pastor, we need you to, to pray for this person. Have you done that right yet? Not yet. Okay, you start. I'll be there in a little bit. <laughs> but I, I don't know if you would found that in your years of ministry as well, where other people would wait for you to pray before they would. There was a tendency that they turned toward the pastor's direction at the prayer moment. Yeah, it's, it's, that just seems such a strange thing to me. But I've, but I've been in some, some settings, settings where, where the folks just took off and did their own praying too. So I, I mean, well, yeah, it works, works, works both ways. It is that the the synagogue ruler. It, it's it's really nothing explains about why he came. We we don't we don't know. 
Well, there's one thing I do know. And this is the point I was uh, I was hoping to get to. All right, get at it. Get at it. <laughs> yes, this sir. is it. Your moment. Do it. You don't have any special powers, do you? <laughs> I have one superpower. It's breaking things. Breaking things up. Unintentionally, of course. But uh, aside from that, I, I hold no superpowers. But here in this moment, there is something absolutely wonderful. And... And I look at this in such an amazing way. If you look at this verse in verse 23, it is an amazing prayer without even knowing it's a prayer. This guy is talking to God and saying, God, my little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And he doesn't even know that he's praying. So even pastors, people come to us as pastors and say, okay, well, you do this. Well, I'm not Superman, you know. It, it, I, just I just don't, don't have, have any, any anything extra, extra that you do. You do. I will I'm pray, and I'm going to ask, and I've got that relationship, and you do too. So, so let's, let's do this together. together. And absolutely, we'll go and lay hands on people and pray for them. I think that's a beautiful thing, and much comes of it. But it actually does take God specifically to do these things that we have no power over. And I think that's the amazing thing. that You know, if the, the priest is doing it, then you should do it. Talk to God directly. Do that first. And that's where the power actually comes from in those moments. Now, what about this this uh, woman who's suffering? And she just touches his clothes. I've heard some people say that was, uh, you know, it's only her faith had nothing to do with anything else other than her faith. Do you see that? Because I've had some debatable moments on these things. <laughs> Well, well, it, it, it certainly, uh, it, it said, said, verse 27 says, says, when she heard about Jesus, mm -hmm. she came, came up behind him. him. Right. So, so she, she was, was attentive, attentive, listening to people around, to what people were saying, maybe what she was feeling, and she took a risk. Yeah. Uh, because... For somebody who was kind of on the edge of society, looked down upon because she couldn't be healed. Uh, I mean, it's it's like many today who feel kind of bullied by life, by others. She was kind of bullied because of her life situation, and uh, particularly those who might have thought, well, because she is. Suffering, that's a sign of her sin or something bad she's done. And she might have, that might have soaked into her self-perception, I don't know. Yeah, and even even in her condition, she wouldn't have been allowed into the temple. No, she, she had to be careful where she was. She wasn't allowed to. So that Jesus was out in the crowd is a part of what made this healing possible. Yeah. The, I've, I've heard this, this scripture twisted terribly in multiple ways. As a, as a story against doctors? <laughs> it's not a good medical profession. Doesn't really, this is not one of the texts you use at the medical profession banquet, you know. No, actually, I've heard it twisted by... Uh, uh, certain people that I'll just say, well, you know, if you, if your back still isn't working, if you still have cancer, it's just because your faith is terrible. You get some real faith and come back. And and I've I've actually heard people say that out loud, and I was like, honestly, I had nothing to do but cringe and like go like, let's talk later. <laughs> what else are we gonna say? Let's talk later. I don't know what else to say. But I've I've run into people who believe that it was. Only her faith. Now, Jesus does say, daughter, your faith has healed you. But here's the thing. If you're standing in the desert with an empty cup and you're really thirsty, and you have faith in that cup to be full, well, I don't know if your faith is going to heal you as much as if you get close to the source of water, right? But here, it's not just her faith in Jesus, not her faith that she could be healed, but her faith and her connection to the source. I think there's something more to that there. And I, I'm not sure how well that, that sits in doctrine, but 
I think it follows under that ex operandi. I like saying it. It sounds cool. It is that it is, if you want to go Jersey with it. It's sort of um, like our having a electronic device. We've all had this time. We've tried to turn something on and it won't come on, and we wonder, what is wrong? And then we realize it's not plugged in. Exactly. And uh, she she reached out. Plugged it in. I mean, she, her faith had action. Yeah. It wasn't just, uh, I'm going to sit here on the corner and Jesus will heal me. She had faith to, that Jesus could heal her, but she made that connection. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that, that I've kind of clued in on, and it may just be because uh, I'm a bit of a hooligan at times, <laughs> but uh, throughout the first part of Mark, we're also seeing a lot of him dealing with people that are outsiders, you know. And what we're looking at when we see that, we see kind of the, the more religious mindset. Uh, you have to do things in X, Y, Z sort of way, right? You have to have everything decent and orderly, which I got in trouble with because uh, I'm, I'm a... I'm a bit wily, and I was going to a Presbyterian university, and decent and orderly are they're, they're wonderful things that I have to say a lot. Uh, so, so I was neither decent nor orderly. But uh, Chaotic and creative. There you go. That's, that rhymes. I can preach on it for an hour. I've been told I'm very Baptist in that way. If it rhymes, you'll preach on it for an hour. But uh, just run that dog. So... When I look at it, there's a lot of this relationship versus religion process that we see, that the relationship is actually valued more than the particular values along the way. And I think that's that's an honest point that we need to look at first. It's a primary thing, but not a completionist thing. Because law is definitely a thing that we, we need to follow the rules and the process that God has, you know, just as uh, your wife likes you to dress in a certain way and... Uh, she likes you to uh, show up at certain times, right, and be involved in her life, right? I do things to keep my wife happy. I have this big fluffy beard. Uh, I do too, by chance. You do, and it looks amazing, sir. Your beard game is strong. But uh, I keep the beard mostly because she likes it. And I think it covers a lot of the, the face. <laughs> I think that's maybe the secondary benefit, right? But see, just as, you know, she didn't marry me because I had a beard, because I didn't at the time, but... The, the, the certain, certain particulars, particulars I started learning more and more about her afterwards and wanted to do more to please her and keep her happy, right? right. And, and in that, that same way, way, I think that, that initial relationship, relationship is the, the, the key thing to start out with. with. But, but the law comes after the cross, cross not prior, prior to it. it. And I think that's, that's why, why you had that guy sitting in the car for three weeks before he'd come in, you know? Is we think we've got to have it all right before we get in. And let me just tell you, I'm just one more fat guy at the gym. So don't tell me about one more sinner at the church because I'll welcome them in, right? I understand that. <laughs> There's definitely something to that. So that relationship, um, whether it's uh, initially the guy didn't want relationship. He's like, oh, well, well I'm going to restore the actual person by removing the demon. Restore that person's relationship. Not just with Jesus, but the people in the towns, right? So he went back to his family and restored the town on behalf. You know, the same thing we see with the woman at the well. Restored to God first, then to people second. And then the rest of the world benefits. Here we see um, this woman who was outcast, um, probably from society in general, but at least from the temple uh, because of the, the laws that were in place. Yet now she's restored physically, can be restored to the people, can be restored to the temple and her relationship more fully with God. I see that process repeating itself here. And it's interesting, the disciples are still there having trouble figuring out what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> it says that, you know, after this happened and she's healed, uh, Jesus realized power has gone out from him. And he, he turns around, looks at the crowd and asks the people, who touched my clothes? Who touched me? And the disciples, they just, oh, yeah. I, in fact, they said, you dummy, you're here. This, you're packed into the Hawkeye arena. What do you expect? They're 
people are brushing you all the time. What's this deal about? There's 10 people down the row have already bumped into you. What is this about who touched me? So it's interesting. They just didn't, they didn't understand what was going on. Do you have, the, the other thing I think about it, are there hundreds of other healings happening at this time? I would assume not because there's that moment where he says, okay, well, there's hundreds of people crowding me, right? I'm thinking like Jesus running away like the Beatles in those old movies, right? <laughs> They're like, ah, running down the street. But here it is, and just one person is made note of. John Mark makes note of this particular person because this must have been a significant thing to talk about 30 years later, right? That's a huge deal. So, so this woman, I'm sure, is still preaching and talking about it, right? Still going. I wonder if this story got remembered because of the kind of uh, uh, rebuke of Jesus to the, to the disciples. The fact that they didn't get it. And so they're, if Peter is, in fact, the one who is one of the primary conduits, yeah. of remembering this story, it would have been the kind of thing somebody like Peter would remember oh, yeah. being uh, rebuked about him. He didn't get it then either. <laughs> right, right. Light bulb. <laughs> At that moment, right? Well, I'll, I'll continue on with verse 35 uh, through 43. While Jesus was still speaking, they did not give him a break. <laughs> And, and some, some men, men came, came from, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and they said, too late, buddy. Your daughter is dead. This is pretty rough. And they said, why bother the teacher anymore? And ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. And he did not let anyone follow except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw the commotion, and there were people crying and wailing loudly. And he went to them and said, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he, after he put them all out, he took the, father's, or the child's father and mother, and the disciples who were with him. And he went in there where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. I like to think that loud. <laughs> Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, my first impression of this, having a 13-year-old daughter, is that she was just sleeping. <laughs> like, leave me alone, Dad. <laughs> but obviously, it's, it's something worth mentioning more than that, right? So... What, what, what do you, you make, make of this? this uh, uh, is there something, something that's, that's that's left out of this? Out of this? The, um, of course, again, the reaction of people around, they don't always get it. Uh, don't bother the teacher. That almost sounds like it might be one of the disciples who said that. Yeah. I'm not sure it would fit in with what we've talked about about them not getting it. Uh, and then the fact that the, the crowd really, the, the ones who were, maybe they were hired uh, grief group who were going through the fulfilling the, their law, their understanding of how to grieve. Yeah. And so they thought Jesus was being absolutely ridiculous, and they ridiculed him for that. So then he takes the little circle of people in, and he, he takes her by the hand. He just talked to the, to the demoniac, and the woman touched him. He didn't reach out to her. But here, he reaches down and takes the girl with the hand. It's a very, very memorable moment. And so memorable that, you know, Peter remembers the Aramaic phrase, which he used. It's like it's burned in his, 
uh, mind. I, I suppose most people, if the preacher's funeral walked over to the casket, opened the casket lid, reached down, and took Grandma's hand and said, Grandma, get up, people would not forget that oh, no. funeral. Oh, no. <laughs> this was pretty memorable. That is a, that is a definitely a memorable thing. So again, we're, we're going back to that same process. We don't know, know exactly, we don't have a pattern that we can put together to make a miracle happen. You know, we can't put together a pattern that makes God pay attention to us and do a particular thing. And when we try to do that, we get in trouble. Oh yeah, believe me, I know. <laughs> so when we start looking at it, you know, we're like, we don't have any signal that Jesus touched the demoniac. We do have a signal that uh, the woman who was suffering touched the hem of his garment. And then this woman actually had, he held her hand. So does it require that you hold Jesus, they actually touch him, or you're close to him? How far is far enough? We don't know. We don't know that he didn't touch the demoniac. Right, we don't know. It just doesn't say that. It just says, it doesn't say that he did. This is very clear that that's an important part of of it, uh, and I guess in a in a culture where touch is so abused, yeah, and we're so fearful of it, you wonder how much we lose because we don't we aren't, yeah, in touch with each each other. I remember when I first was in ministry, uh, hugging was an acceptable thing to do. Yeah, uh, but then we did become more aware that there are risks with that and abuses of it. But there's something really lost in a culture for just electronically connected, right? But don't have the benefit of, of of touch. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. You know, we're we're looking at a variety of things here, and. And I, I see a lot of power in putting hands on someone's shoulder and praying for them or holding their hands and praying for them. I think there's, uh, there's a lot that's come of that. Um, some of the things that we don't do in our culture, but it's easily done elsewhere, is like washing the feet. It's something that's, uh, well, you've thrown the feet out with the bathwater on this one. <laughs> but when I've, when I've done this, uh, especially overseas in Nepal, every time I wash feet, and we wash the entire crowd, and the towels come in white, they come out dirt, you know? And it's just a huge thing for them to actually know that, yeah, this is the part that uh, most people don't want to deal with. But I'm willing to, to cleanse your feet in this way because Jesus did that first. And I think there's, in that moment, a simple touch does a lot, you know? But here we, we'd be very fearful of that sort of issue and that sort of... Um, sort of worship at that point. But we're also looking at this, yeah, there's this variety. There's, what do we do and what do we not do? How does it work? How does it not work? And all that we know is that um, a holy person's prayers avail much, right? We know that. So it's that personal relationship with Jesus often shows more power than, than others. And it doesn't mean that every time you pray, you're going to heal somebody. But it also in those moments where someone who's not known Jesus before, I've seen people physically healed and, and changed from those moments. Um, I've seen oftentimes people are just spiritually healed where something major has happened. Uh, last, or I guess two years ago in Nepal, three years now, oh, time flies by, doesn't it? Uh, two of my friends and I were in uh, Bhaktapur, uh, outside of the major city of Kathmandu, and they asked that we would have a prayer meeting. And I didn't know what that meant. So apparently what they did is they, they rented this room in a building, invited a whole bunch of people in that were going to this separate Hindu festival up the hill. And they were all marching up the hill. They said, well, if you come in and listen to us, we'll feed you. So we had, I don't know, maybe 100, 150 people packed into this, this room that was no bigger than my living room. And people were just stacked on each other hanging in the windows, just, just, just sitting there listening. And we, I preached and they, we prayed, we sang, we did all kinds of stuff. And I asked, who, does anybody here believe in Jesus? Does anybody want to know more about Jesus? And, and there was no response. 
And I tried again because I thought maybe the translation didn't come through right. <laughs> and they were just looking at me like, who's this dummy? <laughs> and I was like, I know that look. My wife gives that to me now and then. <laughs> who's this dummy, right? But uh, one of my friends said, Do, does anybody need prayer? And someone came forward and his, his arm was locked up at his side. And me and uh, two other guys, we put hands on him and prayed for him. He just started whipping that arm around like a helicopter. And people got up and they started dancing and singing. And an older lady got up and uh, her back wasn't moving. We prayed for her. She just started dancing around. And I'd never seen anything that visible or that dramatic happen in relation to a healing like that. So the next thing they did is they said, go pray for him. And there was this kid they call AJ who had uh, suffered brain damage, couldn't barely talk couldn't walk, couldn't do anything. They uh, carried him around like a backpack and just took him from place to place and fed him and clothed him and cared for him and that was it. Uh, just until he, he, he passed away last year, uh, which is rather unfortunate, but he uh, had been thrown out like garbage on the side of the road. His parents didn't know what to do with him and that's, at least they're acceptable. So one of the Christian families had taken him in and we, they'd taken care of him. Well, they said, well, if it worked on this guy's arm and that lady's back, you get over there right now and pray for this dude. And we did. And, uh, and I was like, I was like, okay, I can understand a back and I can understand an arm, even if I've never seen anything that dramatic. But I was like, is this guy going to get up and walk? And, and unfortunately he didn't, he didn't. He was still physically in the same condition at the end, but people were still pouring out and they were like, pray for me, pray for me. I need to know Jesus. I want to know this. And there was a church born after that. Um, very next day they met again and a bunch of people got together and just started worshiping. It was an amazing deal. But I didn't really recognize it for what it was until I was on the plane home. Because we went back to the, the orphanage where the kid lived and with all of his you know, brothers and sisters in the orphanage and uh, the guy who took care of it. And he got back and he just started screaming and we couldn't figure out why he was screaming. They could, they're like, we don't know if he needs changed or if he's hungry, if, if he's hot, if there's something else going on. And someone finally figured out that the only thing that calmed him down was music. So they started playing the guitar. And he started singing. He could barely say his own name. And he starts singing this love song, this Indian love song. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. It was not on key. It was not well understood, but it was the most beautiful thing. And I saw that day that he wasn't just physically healed. He was spiritually healed. Knowing that his family had thrown him out here, he had a new father. He had two mothers that would take care of him. He had tons of brothers and sisters that would take care of him. He had a new family and he had Jesus in his life. And we, we look at uh, healings in this particular way, and this, this entire section is just that. It's casting out demons. It's, it's physical healings and raising from the dead. And we overlook those in today's current society. And to me, that they all tie together in, in that they have in common that um, we as humans couldn't solve it. Right. We couldn't fix the demoniac. Nope. We couldn't fix the girl. No. The best medicine of the day couldn't fix the woman's health problems. Yeah. And yet, the contact with Jesus made yeah. a difference that nothing else could. Nothing else could. Yeah, and I, I think that often today we, we overlook the option and the, the issues of can God actually do things that we can't, those miracles, because, well, well, that's, a, that's an amazing concept. I sure hope God can do some things we can't because, boy, there's a big list of things we can't do. I know there is, but, you know, I, I talked to another pastor uh, about a year ago, and I, had, I just asked people, I'm like, hey, have you seen God doing amazing things lately? He's like, he told me straight up the only miracles that exist are the fact that we breathe out the same things that trees breathe in and vice versa. And that God put the sun and the moon and the stars in place and that's miracle enough and that's all we'll ever have. 
And I was like, you know, I, I, I don't know how that conversation would, over this chapter would go with him because we can medicate the first thing. We could do surgery for the second thing. But what are you going to do about a dead girl? The third thing, yeah. And, and there's, there's that moment. Do we actually believe it? Can we see it? And, and I know not everybody experiences it or recognizes it when it happens. But I think God is continually active with us, both in the practical and in the impossible. And I think the, the healing of the girl is a, it's a looking ahead to the, the promise of the resurrection that is obvious way beyond our human capability and the thing that kind of stamped God's yeah. The father's approval on the son's uh, efforts. Yeah. See, when we get up to, when we get up to the point where uh, Peter's, Peter's asked, and who do you say I am? I'd have a totally different answer. I'd say you're the funeral spoiler. <laughs> so you know, there's there's that moment, <laughs> but you you look back at it, at how many funerals get to stay funerals while he shows up. And, and, and I think there's, there's over and over again, we, we just conceive things over the normalcy. normalcy. And there and are there times, are and, and, and I'm, I'm sure, sure this girl eventually died as well. I'm sure, sure Lazarus eventually died as well. Yeah. But, but along the way, we are just so willing to give things over and just say, accept it as it is. It can't be done or it can't be done. And we forget the true power that comes behind the relationship with Jesus and what, what God wants to do in your life. And this comes to the question of when he gives these signs and these miracles, what is he, what is he intending? What is he doing? He's restoring a person physically. And often we see that into the spiritual restoration that goes back into the restoration with their families and the world around them. And that's kind of the essence of the gospel, that even though we messed this whole thing up, that God came down to restore our relationship with him. And we get that first vertical piece, and we get the horizontal piece, that, that crossbar that happens where we get to be restored with each other. And then once we get that piece, we can get that rest of the vertical. We can, we can finally understand our full relationship with God and start to experience it fully. I think, I think these, these, these miracles, miracles often get passed, passed up, up. Um, and we just, just look for spiritual and mental restoration these days. days. We're looking for a sense of peace, but we, we often just ignore these or push them off as if maybe modern science has resolved this. Yeah, I, I think our scientific perspective sometimes keeps us from seeing them at a spiritual level. We want to explain yeah. And if, if it doesn't fit in with our little framework, whatever the latest framework is, then we, we can dismiss it or stay in control. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to that because we like that control. See, I believe that uh, not science is a problem, but the, the concept and the philosophy of naturalism is. And that was actually born out of the mid-1500s, is that naturalism started to claim science, this is my territory and that's it. But really, science sort of is the God, God of the gaps. God, of the gaps. God is only the, the part we can't figure out. And as we, I think, have figured out so much more, that God of the gaps keeps shrinking down. And there's, and if we rule out, I guess, supernatural, or if we rule out the things we don't understand, then we're really limiting God. And so... Strange thing, miracles stop happening. Yeah, it it is an oddity, isn't it? Yeah. Or we start uh, mistaking the the common is no no longer miraculous. So I, I start looking at some of these things and um, and yeah, there's that God of the gaps philosophy that naturalism throws in there. But you know when we start getting down to particle physics and astrophysicists, they all have one thing in common. They say you can take the first sip from the glass of science as an atheist. But when you get to the bottom of the glass, God is staring back at you. And there's that something that we have a problem with is the infinitely large and the infinitely small. And if God is God of the infinitely large and the infinitely small, he has no problem with the middle. 
And we, we start to look at, at how that range happens. And I think there's, there's a lot to be conceived of within that. But there's really two views of science if we really want to break it down to naturalism or maybe uh, science as a, as a theist. Naturalism says, well, yeah, we're kind of filling in the gap with what we didn't know before. We don't need corn gods anymore because we know how corn works, right? We're in Iowa. We got this. <laughs> Lots of it. Lots of it. So we got so much, we feed it to the pigs. <laughs> so when, when we break down to um, the idea of science as a Christian, now we're looking at instead of gaining information for our own power as naturalism would, we're gaining knowledge of what God is doing. To follow within his philosophies, his processes, his thoughts, of which, of course, are higher than ours. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, uh, I think, idolatry in some way when we put ourselves in control of that particular section, where we say we know it all, and if we don't, we will just give us a little time. Yeah. Give us some time. I need about twenty minutes yet. We'll figure out how to resurrect people in New Town. I saw I saw this movie once called Frankenstein. Not not how that works, right? Not how that works. Not how that works. Well, I, I appreciate you going over this with me here. Um, we're going to take uh, just a few minutes break. Well, thank you everybody for uh, taking the time and listen with us. Uh, we hope you're getting a lot out of the scripture with us and by hearing, because faith comes by hearing. But we also hope that you're going to get the Bible by yourself as well. We've gone through this with you, but please take the time to go back. It should take you no more than five minutes just to read one little chapter. Mm -hmm. And maybe you'll get new clues and new insights that we didn't have a chance to cover. I think that could happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Grace and peace to you. Make peace with God so you can be his grace in this world. Amen. Amen.